welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Lead Pastor Robert Herber. For more messages and resources, head to allpeopleschurch.org or download our free All People's app. Good morning. How you doing? Way to brave the elements and make it at church. Amazing. Made it through the mist and even daylight savings time. Wow. Well, uh, next Sunday is one of my favorite days of the year with baptisms, and if you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you to jump in, literally, and who can get baptized? Anyone that's given their life to Jesus. You don't have to go through a certain amount of classes or come to a certain level of Christian maturity. Baptism is merely a symbol that you gave your life to Jesus, that the old is gone and the new has come, and I find that it puts people on a new trajectory when they take that first act of obedience. So jump in with us. You can come and see us at the guest center or text 555-888 and jump in. Next week, we'll celebrate you. We're going to continue our Building a Healthy Life series this morning, and we're talking about getting free from sin. Last week, I left you in a painful place in the story of David and his falling into adultery with Bathsheba and then that downward spiral of hiding and lying and murder. And then we found him not having fellowship, not hearing from God for 10 months. And I promised you that it would get better this week. And so we're going to jump in in 2 Samuel 12. If you have a Bible, turn with me there. But first, I wanted to just give you a story that I thought was pertinent to this kind of experience because I find that we all find ourselves stuck at different times. Anyone ever been stuck in a car before? Your car got stuck. Yeah, lots of us in here. I told this story a while back, but I want to share it again because of the points that are so pertinent to this message. About a year and a half ago, my, my kids and I were out on a retreat center, and we had some spare time. So we got my truck, and I said, kids, let's go driving around and exploring. And we got to the end of the ranch and looked, and there was a road that you could tell had not been used in some time. And I just thought, this is my chance to teach my boys how to be men. We're going to go driving off-road. And, you know, and, and the second I say that, a voice is like, don't do it. Not smart. And, and then the other voice is like, no, be a man. Like, this is what Herbers were made for. You know, for generations, Herbers have been forging trails in the wilderness. And then, don't do it. I don't think the campground wants you to drive on unmarked trails, you know. And, and, but, but just the adventure side and maybe the wily side of me kind of took over. And so next thing we know, we're driving my truck on this trail and the boys are in the back. And we're, ah, until finally the brush starts closing in. And I realize I'm going to just totally destroy my truck if I keep going. So we stop. And at that moment, I'm like, yeah, probably shouldn't have done that can't turn around, so I just start backing up, and Hudson's guiding me down the trail, and then there's a little opening where I realize I can turn around, so I'd, I'd pull off the trail, and boom, my, my tire just drops into quicksand. I thought that was only in The Princess Bride, right? And so I'm stuck, so I'm accelerating, and I just get more and more and more stuck. Have you ever had that experience before? And so then I get out and try all the tricks I know, putting some brush under there, putting some rocks under there, but I just keep getting stuck until I'm down to the axle. And my first thought is, I can't let anyone know this happened. Well, that's a real godly thought, isn't it? 
boys, hide this, you know? <laughs> but then I'm realizing, no, the only way we're going to get out is if we hike all the way back to, to camp, because I'm calling people. I can't get a hold of anyone. We're going to hike all the way back to camp and get someone to help us. And so we're walking. We're miles away. It's 100 degrees outside. The boys are like, awesome, Dad. Thank you. Do you know that sometimes when you get stuck, it affects the people you love? Ooh. And so I have to go back. I have to humble myself. I have to tell my father-in-law how embarrassing. I have to borrow his four-wheel drive Tahoe. Then I have to get a, a friend. The camp chef happens to be like this all things car expert. So we drive out and after about an hour of working at it, we get pulled out. And the only thing we suffered was some humiliation. But what I realized is this, is that there's a process you have to go through in life to get free. And today I want to talk about getting free from sin. And we're going to start with verse 1 of 2 Samuel 12. It says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, Nathan is the new prophet in town. Samuel was the prophet who administered most of David's life. He's now passed. God sends a new prophet. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it. It grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Everyone say, oh. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Say, oh. oh. Thank you. You know, I'm going to talk about four steps today to get free from sin. And the first step is one that might not be common in the English vernacular, but it's the word rebuke. Say rebuke. I love it that God doesn't allow David to stay in his sin forever. If you remember from the story last week, it had been 10 months where David hadn't been interacting with God, hadn't been hearing with God. You don't hear about his wonderful relationship that he usually has. So God sends the prophet Nathan to rebuke him. Now, to understand what rebuke is, we look at the Hebrew word, and it's yachach. I'm not going to make you say that because you'll spray the person in front of you. It sounds kind of like a yak coughing. And the word yakach means this, to reprove, rebuke, correct, plead, reason, or chasten. Here's the deal. God sent Nathan to plead, to reason, to, to reprove David, because God loved David so much, you got to understand that rebuke is not bad. Rebuke is good. Rebuke helps you get unstuck from your sin. Now, why do we get into sin to begin with? It's because sin in the beginning is enjoyable. Hebrews eleven twenty five. the Bible says this. They were enjoying the passing pleasures of sin, but can I just tell you, it's a passing pleasure. Why? Because sin is from the devil, and the devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So sin will always and inevitably lead to your destruction. It inevitably leads to something dying in you. So praise God, he sends Nathan to rebuke him. Have you ever been rebuked before? 
Anyone been rebuked before? It's not always so fun, is it? Here's one of my first memories of getting rebuked. I was in high school. I was living a double life. On Sundays, I'd go to church. I was even one of the leaders in my youth group. On Friday and Saturday night, I'd be out partying. And so one day, I get a letter in the mail, and I'm thinking, how cool. Someone took the time to write me a letter. It was from a guy named Garnet Sykes. So I open it up. I'm like, Garnet sent me a letter. And I read it. It says, Dear Robert, you say you're a Christian, but you live like a pagan. You're a hypocrite. You're living a double life. You're hurting the cause of Christ. Oh, I was so mad. I took out a piece of paper. I was like, dear Garnet, you do not know me. You don't understand my life. And I, I sealed it up. I walked it out to the mailbox. I put it in there. And I'm walking back. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, he's right. You know, that rebuke helped change me the end of my senior year and started turning me around. Never been rebuked before. Uh, have you ever been rebuked by a pastor before? Okay, I, I've been rebuked by so many pastors, and I wasn't even talking to them. I was just sitting, minding my own business, listening to the sermon. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you're talking to me. Like, how do you know what's going on in my life? Have you ever had that experience? It's because we do know what's going on in your life. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's the Lord. That's the Lord convicted. I remember, I remember Pastor Jimmy talking about pride versus humility, and all of a sudden my stomach starts feeling bad. And I'm like, am I getting a stomach bug? You know, and then I'm thinking, maybe I ate something. I realized, no, this is the conviction of God. You know, that conviction started affecting me physically. He said, hey, if you need to repent, come up front. I was the first one up front at the end of that message. Or you know how else I've been rebuked? This is really, really embarrassing, but I went to the DMV right when I got to California to come and plant this church, and I didn't expect to have this huge bill. Money was very tight, and, and I get to the counter, and all of a sudden I'm realizing that I'm going to have to pay a big title change for my, my truck that my parents had given me that I'd never changed into my name. See, my name is Robert Herber, but I'm a junior. My dad's Robert Herber. And so I get up there, and I just realize, you know what? I'm just going to cover it up. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to lie. And I'm walking out of there going, yeah, I really pulled that one off. And the next morning, I'm spending time with God, and the Holy Spirit speaks, you just lied. And I'm like, oh. And then it's like, you just lied to the state that you're moving to help. I'm like, awesome. The first thing I do as a Californian is lie. I had to write a letter repenting to the government. Oh, like I had to make things right. But you know what? I felt so convicted, but it felt so good to come clean, right? Re rebuke actually helps us get free. And so how does Nathan do it? Nathan does it in an interesting way. He doesn't walk up and say, David, hey, you're in adultery. David, you're killing people. David, you're lying. No, what does he do? He tells a story. So this prophet comes and goes, hi, David. Let me tell you a story. There's a, a man with a sheep. And you're like, what in the world are you doing? Now, I was talking to Michael Ludlam about it. He's the one who helps uh, the, the team that leads out the, the drama ministry with his wife, Julie, and, and Christine Fowler. And, and so there, we were talking about the power of story how story is used to, to open up our heart to truth. You see, David knew the truth, right? Like he taught the truth, but he was in a sin stupor. He was clouded by sin. But the story bypassed his mind and went to his heart. And, and stories, we put ourselves in stories. So this was just brilliant. All of a sudden, David's putting himself 
in the story. And so, and so Nathan, man, he's just, this is straight out of a Hallmark movie. He's like, the sheep, it shared his food and drank from his cup, even slept in his arms like a daughter. And all the while, Davis is being drawn in, right? You know, let, let me just tell you, uh, if you're a parent in here, tell stories to your kids. Don't just lecture your kids. They just, they know how to start tuning us out, but your kids will remember the stories you tell them. If you're a teacher, who are my teachers in here? We had lots of teachers in the last service. Okay, teachers, tell stories, right? My, my, the, the, the teachers that my kids think are boring are the ones that just tell them facts. We just forget facts, but they never forget your stories. Teachers, tell your kids stories. Bosses, don't just lecture your employees. Tell them stories of preferred outcomes. We remember stories. People will come up to me after a sermon and say, that was such a powerful sermon, Pastor. And I'll say, well, what do you remember? They never remember my points. I work so hard. I make my points rhyme. They come with the same letter, but they don't remember them. They remember my stories. A stupid story about getting stuck in my truck. Everyone will remember that, right? But we remember stories. So use stories to help people understand truths. Goes on, verse five. David burned with anger against the man. So David's been brought into the story and it says he's burning with anger. This is, his bypassed his mind and got to his heart and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Nathan was brilliant. He told a story and all of a sudden David can feel God's emotion against this kind of unjustness. And it says he burned with anger. This is the Hebrew word shirah, which means to glow or grow warm. It's, it's moved past his mind. It's affecting his heart. Can I just tell you, don't fight when things start affecting you physically. That's a healthy thing. It means God's moving in your life. You're hearing God, but God doesn't just always speak to our minds or ears. Sometimes he speaks to our emotions and our body. And so David's being affected by this, and he's, he actually pronounces the judgment sh- should have been on him. It's just amazing. Verse seven, then Nathan said to David, this is, this is powerful, you are the man. This is what the Lord says, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. This is something so interesting that I've noticed going on in our age. There's this demand for justice. It's, it's actually holy. It's from God's heart. There's a social justice move. We want justice. We, we want to oppose uh, sex trafficking. We want to come against these. I, I, I noticed that even on Friday, it was our day off, and Steph wanted to walk through the Dell and into some shops. I have no idea why. We can't afford anything uh, there, but that's her deal to deal with. So anyway, um, <laughs> I followed her like a good husband, and on a sign at the Dell, it was speaking against human trafficking. I thought, that's amazing. Like this move for social justice is even making it into businesses. Like you can go to In-N-Out Burger, donate an extra dollar against human trafficking, which is awesome. Makes me want to eat more In-N-Out Burgers. But, but here's, here's the interesting thing. In the same generation that's crying out for, for, for social justice, it's an age of tolerance. So we say, well, but don't tell me what I can and can't do. 
don't, don't call me on my sin. Do you know that those things can't go together? Because you don't call people on their sin, they go and do injustice against humans. You following me? And then, because of this age of tolerance, we, we're like, I don't want to say anything against anybody. Like, I just need to be tolerant. So then we don't rebuke, and we don't confront. And what happens? People end up getting hurt. People end up dying in their sin. So let's take, for instance, here are my kids. They're out playing. They're having a great time. They're, they're just loving life. And I come out, stop that playing. Don't do that. You think, well, you're a harsh dad, unless they're in the street and a semi is coming to crush them. No, then I'm a loving dad because I'm saving them from destruction. That's what rebuke is. That's what confrontation is. You speak the truth in love to spare people from destruction. Can I just tell you, in a healthy family, there's healthy confrontation. There's healthy rebuke. We don't rebuke because we think, if you rebuke me, you don't love me. No, if you don't rebuke someone, you don't love them because you're just gonna let them end up in their pain and their destruction. So let me teach you how to do it right because a lot of us, it wasn't modeled in our family. How do you, how do you start to rebuke someone? How do you start to confront someone? You start by encouraging them, right? You, you start by calling out the gold you see in their lives. You know what? I want you to know that I love you. You start with that. And you, I, I want you to know that I, I see how you're always serving people. I want you to know you, you have a real talent for this. We, we start by encouraging people because we're calling out who God has made them. You know, if you just start with the negatives, we automatically put our guard up, right? We feel like, oh, they're just trying to beat me up. But if you start with encouragement, we understand, oh, this person's actually for me. And they see my God-given calling and identity. Now, some of you in this room are like, nuh-uh, don't do that to me. Don't sandwich me. Don't, you know, just give me the meat. Don't give me the bread on either side. Can I just tell you, that's not right because God is a God of the sandwich. You read the Bible. He's telling, I love you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Then he gives the rebuke. Then he's like, but come back to me and I'll be with you and I'll take care of you, right? God created the sandwich. So start, start I was talking about food a lot. It's, it's getting late. Uh, start with the encouragement. Then the confrontation. Here's how to do it. This is what I found most helpful. Say it in the form of a question. Don't say, you said this, you dog. I can't believe that. That's so harsh. No. Ask him the question. Hey, help me understand why you said that. Because I, I, I want to understand, like, what, what was the motive of your heart? What was going on? You know, when you ask a question, instead of making someone defensive, it draws them out. And sometimes we don't have it right. So we give someone the benefit of the doubt. We let them explain. But nine times out of ten, I find it when I ask in, in the form of a question, someone will say, you know what, you're right. That was just, I shouldn't have done that. So, so bring the confrontation in the form of a challenge so that a person can explain their heart and not feel trapped and have to fight their way out of it. Lastly, then challenge. End it with a challenge. Hey, you know, this is what Scripture says. How do you think we should respond? What, what do you think we can do to make it right? And, and when we do that, it's not you against them. It's bringing in a loving way, hey, this is what I see in Scripture. How, how do you think we can respond in this way? It's the Scripture and then them making a decision how to align their life with it. That's what I find in healthy confrontation. 
Now, this is the reason we need to confront people because look at, as Scripture goes on, it says, I gave you, this is God speaking through Nathan, I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. This is so sad. I don't want to get to heaven and God say, Robert, I would have given you so much more. I want all he has for me. And this is why we want to get free from sin, so God can give us everything he has for us. God is a God. We think, oh, God, you're holding out from me. Why won't you give me? No, God has so much more. I think God has so much more for every single person in this room than what we're walking in. And he's just waiting for us to repent, which means to to turn the other way. We're about to get to that in a minute, and align ourselves with him so he can say, I can give you everything that I've planned for you from the creation of the world. Verse 10, now therefore the sword will not depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes I'll take your wives and give them to one who's close to you and he'll sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I'll do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. So hard. Here's the truth. Our sins have consequences. Our sins have have consequences. And this, honestly, for some of us that grew up in the church, this actually is, is sometimes harder for our mind to wrap around because I grew up just, it was all about just getting saved and because of what Jesus did on the cross, your sins are forgiven. And so that they didn't go on to teach, but your sin does have consequences. So absolutely, are your sins forgiven when you repent? Absolutely. And that's point number two. Getting free, we must repent. And so watch the power of repentance. Watch the power of repentance. Verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. David repents And what's the product of it? God says, you're not gonna die. Do you know the wages of sin is death? David deserved to die for his sin. But when he repented, he doesn't get that that just penalty of sin. I, I love repentance. It's one of the most amazing tools that we have as a Christian. You've lived this life of sin. You repent and you don't go to hell. It's amazing. And repentance is like a forklift that actually comes and it lifts the, the burden of shame and guilt right off your life. Like it's this, don't, don't dislike that you have to repent in life. Love it. I love to repent because it lets me get free. So repentance is this beautiful thing because of what Jesus did on the cross. He paid for your sins because he rose from the dead. He takes the power away and, and washes you clean. However, here's the bad news. Verse 14. But because by doing this, you've shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the night lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get up from the ground, but he refused. He would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How now can we tell him this child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. The child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he's dead. Then David got up from the ground. 
After he'd washed, he put on lotions, changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate it. You see, David repented. He was forgiven, but he bore the consequences of that sin. The, the good news is that we repent and we can be forgiven. You can commit adultery and repent and be forgiven and go to heaven. However, the consequences of that adultery will be the destruction of your marriage. You can yell and scream and even hit your children and be forgiven when you repent. But the consequences will be crushed children, bruised spirits, and, and you might end up in jail for it. You can cheat on your taxes as we're coming towards April 15th, and, and, and it might seem to be like you got away with something, but then the consequences are you get audited by the IRS and you go to prison. You see, we can be forgiven, but we still have to pay the consequences of sin. And that's why, as a pastor, I talk so much about sin because I don't want you to have to reap the destruction. Galatians 6 says this, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. If you sow to please the sinful nature from that, you're going to reap. But if you sow for righteousness, you're going to reap righteousness. Your sin has consequences, and so I plead with you to know, although it's enjoyable for a moment, don't jump in, because you're only going to reap destruction. Now, I need to speak to something for a minute, because I need to tell you some good news, because you read this story, and you say, his child died, and, and maybe you're in this room going, I, I had a miscarriage. Does that mean I was being punished for sin? No. That's not what I mean from, from that. Bad things happen to good people. And that's because sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. And the whole creation, according to Romans 8, was subjected to frustration. And so every little bad thing that happens, you don't need to say, I'm being judged, I'm being punished, right? Or, or you know, my, something happened to my child. It must be because of the evil in me. No, bad things just happen. God actually is a merciful God. And the great news is Exodus 34, we don't get what we deserve. It says this, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. God is not fair. You're glad that God is not fair. Don't ever say, God, I want you to be fair with me. You don't deserve the fair penalty for your sin. You want God's mercy. And God is merciful. He's slow to anger and rich in love. If he wasn't, I couldn't be here today preaching to you because I don't deserve to do this by what I've done. But God has forgiven me, washed me clean, and empowered me through the Holy Spirit to now live a righteous life. It's by God's grace that we're forgiven, and it's by God's grace that we're empowered even to walk free from sin. Now, the cool thing about David's story is while these things are happening, we get to read his journal, and his journal is the book of Psalms. So we're gonna look at what happened in his heart and what he's writing about when Nathan comes and confronts him, and that's Psalm 51. And so it says this, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And David says this, verse one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Can I just tell you the third step to getting free from sin is release. You gotta release control. 
You release. And so David, the first thing you're releasing is your self-strength. David comes and says, God, have mercy on me. A, a person saying have mercy is someone who's realizing I can't save myself. I can't change myself. So God, have mercy. And he doesn't say according to my righteousness or according to how good I am. He says according to your unfailing love. He's appealing to God's goodness, not his. He's releasing self-strength to the Lord. Look at verse three. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He's releasing the right to justify his sin. I was talking to a young guy this past week and he said, you know what? But every young guy I know is in sexual sin. So, so that's how I justify it. You know, we can, we can always find someone doing something worse. But we gotta stop justifying while we're in sin and actually confess it and say, God, I've sinned against you. I need to repent. I need to release that to you. Verse eight, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. David finally releases his hardness that he had towards the Lord. Once you get in a sin spiral, you just start hardening your heart because you get sick of being convicted. And that's why we get in deeper and deeper and deeper sin. But David's finally letting himself feel it. He's like, oh, I'm actually feeling it. My, the bones you've crushed, I feel like I'm being crushed. Have you ever been in that situation where you're so convicted, you just feel miserable? That's a good thing because you're about to get free if you'll release that to the Lord. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. David realizes, I can't do it myself. I'm releasing control. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God. You know, you can't make yourself pure. You have to relinquish that to God and let him do it in you. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Here's the ultimate thing. You, you gotta release the control of your life. And here's how how David does it. He says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. We need to be broken before the Lord. I remember hearing this the first time and I was like, I don't wanna be broken. Like, I thought of broken as being a mess. I, I, I wanna be put together before the Lord. No, brokenness actually means humility. Broken means that someone else is the Lord. And the best illustration I can think of is in an unbroken horse compared to a broken horse. Now, I'm acutely aware of the pain an unbroken horse can cause because when my sisters, I have twin sisters that are younger than me, when they were little, they were two years old, my parents had them out in a, a field of flowers taking pictures of them. And two horses come up and they were aggressive and they were unbroken. And these big horses just pushed my dad right out of the way. My dad was trying to get between them and my little sister, but he just gets pushed out of the way. My dad's a big, strong football player guy. They push him out of the way, and we have a little dog that was barking at them, and the horse takes a kick at the dog, misses the dog, and hits my sister square in the jaw. It sends her through the air, breaks her jaw in seven places. She's out in a coma. Now, my sister miraculously survives. She's she made it. She's living. She's 36 years old, but she still feels the effects of that kick. Now, because of that, we never had horses growing up. We lived on a ranch, but we only had cattle because of the pain that an unbroken horse had caused us. I understand the danger of an unbroken animal. Now, flash forward 35 years into our life now, and my son is 
loves horses, obsessed with horses. Since he was two, he would ask for a horse. And you can understand this would be a, a big deal for us as a family to venture into those waters. And so what I told my son is, you need to prepare for it. You make everything happen so we can have one, and you pray every day, and if we're given a horse, we'll know it's from God. <laughs> but we're not going to ask anyone. Well, a month ago, we get a horse. <laughs> and this horse is a broken horse. This horse is a gentle horse. The first time we saw it, my, my son, actually, the, the person who was showing us to give it to us was actually a stranger, so it was a total miracle, but they said, you know what, you can get up, and they didn't even have a sa saddle, so he just hops up and is riding it bareback. He gets off the horse, and the horse just turns, and without anything, he's not being pulled or anything, just follows him around like a little puppy. <laughs> now, that's what I want to be. That's how I want to be with the Lord. Yeah. That's a, a broken horse versus an unbroken horse, that I just follow the master around. The amazing thing about this horse, his name is Raven, is we learn that Raven doesn't have to have a bit in its mouth. What's a bit? A bit's a piece of metal that you put, right? You put it in its mouth. That's how a, a, a hundred pound kid can can control a thousand pound horse is a bit of metal, right? You put a bit of metal in your mouth, and you can hold yourself around, right? It's like, you know, someone put a, a chain on your braces, you know, and moving you around. That's weird. Um, I don't want to have to have a piece of metal put in my mouth and God have to manhandle me to get me in the direction he wants to go. I want God to be gentle with me. I want to be like Raven that just has to have a little rope and you just barely move the rope and he feels it and says, oh, you want to go this way? I'm going. Actually, I want to be with, like Raven that doesn't even have to have a halter on that the master just starts going and he just follows <laughs> like a little puppy. Isn't that how you want to be with God? Because God has good things. You know, I don't want to manhandle my horse. I want to have a gentle relationship with it. God doesn't want to manhandle you, Right? Did I say that right? He, I, I have had to, I've had to be stopped before by God. I've had to have him stop me in my tracks, and that doesn't feel good, because I was running after sin. I was unbroken. I was going after my own life. I've had experiences like that. No, I want to be where I'm just the gentle nudge of the Lord. He looks over here, and I move, because God has green pastures. He has still waters for me. He has more than I think that he wants to give me. And if I just walk with him, he'll pour out that blessing on me. He'll pour out that blessing on you. Don't be an unbroken horse. Have a broken and contrite spirit. Follow that master around, and he will lead you into blessing. And so this is the last part is restore. The last step is restore. David says this, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. You know, I find far too many Christians who don't live in joy. And what is the reason? The reason is because of sin. You know, when you walk into sin, I, I'd walked into sin before, and it's not like God left me. It's not like I lost my salvation. But what do you lose? You lose the joy of his presence. Because God's presence doesn't go with you into sin. He's a holy God. So he doesn't leave you, but he wants his presence to be where things are honoring him. And so you turn and you repent, and boom, his joy and his presence is brought back near to your life. 
So many Christians don't live in that because they're living in sin. If you haven't been joyful in your Christian life, if you're like, why? Why don't I have that same joy? Look at your life and say, is there some area that's not pleasing to God? And it's not out of religion. It's because I want to walk closely with him. I want that restoration with him. Now, here's the, what I'm going to end with. I don't even want to end this way, but here's the end of the story. And I'm like, God, this is really great. But this, you're going overboard with how good you are. Like, this is too kind. The way you end this story is too kind. Okay, but I've got to read it because it's in the story. And this is just how good God is. Verse 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. Like, this is the woman that he committed adultery with and he killed her husband. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. Solomon would go on to be the wisest man to ever live. Out of this mess, God makes something beautiful. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. Do you understand that if you'll receive that rebuke, if you'll repent and then you release your life to God, God can take the mess you've made and make something beautiful from it. Like, that's ridiculous. Right? That's not fair. But that's how wonderful God is. He takes our mess and you give it all to God and then he turns and he brings something beautiful that blesses people when we go his way. And that's what we want to do. Why don't we stand up? If you just close your eyes with me. Father, we want to be people who get free from sin. And if you just receive this word from God today, just put your hand on your heart. Just say, God, I receive this. And now just ask God, God, search my heart. You know, we want him to, to bring a, a rebuke or a confrontation because I don't want anything that would keep me from the joy of my salvation. I don't want to miss any of the good and perfect gifts he has for me. He's a good father who just wants to minister to me and bless me, and I don't want to have anything that would block him. So we just ask God to bring to mind any area of sin that he wants you to, to repent of. And as he, that comes to mind, just repent. Just say, God, I'm so sorry. Just repent of it. And then just say, God, I release that area to you, and I release control to you. If I could just have some leaders come forward really quickly, life group leaders and interns, training school students come down forward real quick and let's just sing one last song but if there's an area sometimes we know you know I've got to share this I've got to confess this I need some more leaders can I get some on this side please there might be an area where you're like you know what I just need to bring something to the light I need to confess something or you there might be an area of pain in your life or you might be believing for someone else to turn from a life of sin or maybe today you just need to give your life to Jesus you've never done that before you've never actually turned from your old life and, and come into that new life of receiving his free gift of salvation through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. I just want to encourage you, if you have a need today, just come forward. Just start boldly coming forward right now. And let's just give that to Jesus. Let's just leave our burdens here. Let's leave our burdens here, church, so we can walk out free this week.